So I want to ask uh, Pastor Tony, who uh, is part of our soul care team and uh, he's one of the deacons here, uh, to come up and pray for us. Tony and I have been uh, getting trained ourselves with the uh, uh, the residency ministry for pastoring through New Life Churches. And uh, I'd be honored. First of all, please, before we go any further, uh, silence your phones. Let's honor God properly. And so as we go forward, Heavenly Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we come today and we come ready to receive. We come with open hearts to be filled. We come with an open mind to be changed. We thank you, Lord God, that we are going to sit here and actually feel the manifested power of the Word of God being taught, applied, kept, so that we too can go out there and help others in this dark world. Heavenly Father, thank you that knowledge is power and spiritual knowledge is even more powerful. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you, first of all, for the great gentleman that's here today, ordained by God, Dr. John, and we thank you that all of us have come here expecting, and I guarantee you that because it is God, He will deliver, and He will change who is willing to be changed. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for what's about to take place, and we're about what we're about to receive, and we're glad, and we're rejoicing, and we're excited, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. Did everybody get a copy of the notes for this talk? Does anybody not have a copy of the notes for this evening? Okay, we got one down here. Uh, Thanks, Mike. Anybody else not get a copy of the notes? (laughs) (laughs) Does uh? Does everybody have something to write with? Because I think we have extra pencils if uh, we don't have something to write with. All right. I am going to try to hold it up a little bit so you don't see that. So can everybody see the board okay? Yeah, thank you. Okay. This is a little bit different. You're probably used to slide presentations, um, we have a lot of fill in the blanks. This is really just a reflection of what you already have. And I may, not, I may jump through some things because we have a lot to cover tonight and uh, we're starting a bit late, so uh, let me just jump right in. <clears throat> our world is horribly broken. Uh, our world exists, but it is not functional. <clears throat> It's broken by the sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, I think everyone here is Christian, so we all know this, or should know that. Uh, Broken by their fall and the curse which followed. It's broken in three ways. It's broken physically. And anybody in the scientific community would not argue that point. Um, Our universe... Our uh, world, uh, all the particles are in the process of breaking down and decaying. They're going from a higher state of order to a lesser state of order continuously. That's a known fact. Astronomers will tell you that. Physicists will tell you that. Uh, scientists of all sorts will tell you that. If they don't, if they say no, that's not true. They probably should be a scientist. That's uh, part of what's called the second law of thermodynamics. So. The world won't argue that thing, that idea. 
but it's not just broken physically, and we all know this. Uh, broken socially. We hear constantly about wars and rumors of wars. But it's a lot more than that, is it not? Uh, it's broken on a national scale. We have all kinds of things going on today. All things, all these things that we hear in the news, shootings of all sorts, uh, people attacking police. Uh, we've got problems in families. We've got marriages with horrible difficulties. We've got marriages breaking apart. Uh, we've got abuse of all sorts. Uh, we've got abuse in families, but we've got abuse in schools. We've got abuse in churches. I mean, we're living in the last days, I believe, personally. I believe that. So it may be a lot more intense today, and we're hearing about it a lot more, too, than maybe they did years ago. But this stuff has been going on for ever since the dawn of time, uh, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. <clears throat> it's also broken psychologically. And this is a lot of what we want to hone on this weekend. Uh, psychologically, really psychology is just the study of the soul. Uh, suki is a word, or I'm not sure if I pronounce it correctly, but suke is the, the uh, Greek word from which we get the word uh, psychology. And it's about the soul. Uh, we can think of the soul as being comprised of mind, will, emotions, and the ability to have relationships with other human beings. Uh, the world is broken psychologically. The human soul is broken. But we're also broken spiritually. Uh, part of what happened in the fall of Adam and Eve was spiritual death. And God told them, God warned them, if you eat of that one tree, you will surely die. They didn't die right away. They kept living on for a while. What was that all about? If you dig into that more, you start to realize, and this is very well accepted, uh, it's not a theory, it's a fact, it's a, it's a knowledge, that there was spiritual death. They had no more fellowship with God. They were kicked out of the garden, and uh, their ability spiritually to relate was gone. <coughs> But it, tragically, probably one of the worst things that's happened to our world is that Satan and demonic spirits took over. Uh, Satan and demonic spirits, and I don't know if you understand this, maybe you don't, but they're actually in control of this lower world. Uh, God is sovereign overall, so he, he allows them to reign for a time. But Satan's in control. And anywhere there's an open door for Satan to get in with his demonic spirits, they will take that opportunity and go through that door. So, our world's a mess. There's relational breakdown. There's human abuse. There's human suffering. There's death all around us. And we, many of us, have experienced it recently with family members or with maybe uh, friends or co-workers, there's death all around us. And eventually, physical death is going to come to all of us. We've got to come to grips with that. <clears throat> uh, 
tragedy after tragedy, and crisis dominates our news day and night. But what's the world's response to this? Because this is a biblical view. And there are other views out there. Some pretty powerful ones. <clears throat> there's humanistic worldviews. And there's other views. But here's some responses. Uh, and these are not all encompassing, but I like to call these the two D's and the three I's. <clears throat> there's uh, a common one, denial. Uh, no, uh, human beings are not sinners. Human beings, the human race is basically good. We're basically good. That's a denial of the truth. I'm sorry, but that's a denial. There's defiance. It goes something like this, right? If there's a God, why doesn't he come down here and fix this problem? Why doesn't he fix our world? There can't be a God. What was Jesus Christ's cross all about? with this kind of thinking. I don't... There's a disconnect there, and maybe some of these other problems are part of that response, but indifference. There's a lot of indifference. Um, that might go something like this. Um, in fact, I've, I've witnessed it this as an engineer. I go over to Europe a lot of times. And Europe being postmodern, uh, these people sitting around a table, and if you even start talking about spiritual things, they, they look at you and they're like, why do people just get into those deep subjects? It's, uh, you know, just, human beings are human beings and we're going to die. And it's, uh, uh, that's, that's a lot of indifference there. There's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of ignorance. Uh, people living in a bubble. Uh, I'm okay. You're okay. Life is good for me. Why do you got to get into all this stuff? And then they go on their, their merry way, and then they don't realize that the bubbles are made to be popped. And one day that bubble is going to pop for them. And it could be very messy. <clears throat> and uh, this last one is very, very common. The Bible talks about this tremendously. Idolatry. Uh, these are people that they know our world is horribly messed up. They have a lot of messed up problems in their own life, maybe in their marriages or their relationships. But they substitute going to God with those problems with other things. And, and some of us in here may be struggling with that. And I'm not. Look, I've had these problems, and sometimes I'm tempted to go back to idols. Uh, I think we all are, the truth be known. <clears throat> but substituting God, uh, substituting worship instead of God, to mitigate their pain. And there's all sorts of different types of idols. It isn't just alcohol. It isn't just, in our culture, it's not just alcohol, drugs. It can be people. Mm -hmm. And usually there's some unbelief and some rebellion in the earth. You drill down into the heart. There's some of that going on there. <clears throat> well, can we understand sin a little bit? Can we understand rejection in our broken world? Uh, again, we said it's because of Adam and Eve, but again, on the street, that's not going to be a very popular response, a very popular statement. But the Bible is very clear about this. Through sin comes death. Uh, 
Sin entered the world, and death came right behind it. And we don't have time to talk about this in detail, but did you ever think about the possibility that, okay, um, that, that's a really harsh statement. Uh, boy, our culture doesn't like to hear that. But if God is a holy and perfect God, and he doesn't deal with even one sin, he just kind of lets it go? Is he really a perfect God? Is a perfect God going to let imperfection continue to exist without some sort of response? He wouldn't be a perfect God if he did that. He wouldn't be a holy God if he did that. God is holy. I know you all know that. Uh, but he's not going to be holy if he doesn't deal with sin. And, you know, what drives us crazy in our culture a lot of times is when you see injustices in our culture and people get away with all kinds of stuff and judges get paid off, maybe, or judges just letting stuff go and juries letting stuff go, and we get angry about that because somebody has been sinned against and somebody has, has experienced injustice, and it gets really ugly. But we expect God to let sin go as a culture. Well, God's a holy God. He's going to deal with every single sin, and for sin comes death. And he told Adam and Eve that. And Adam and Eve's sin nature, because we are their descendants, we inherited that nature. Their nature changed the moment that happened. And the sin nature came in. And all the human race inherited that. All the human race ended up in the fall. And we as a whole world, our world changed. And suffering and death that came to Adam and Eve has come to us too. The fall, the curse, and the suffering and misery uh, spread everywhere. And the sad ramifications of the fall include rejection. We talked about that in intro. Suffering and death. The majority of people in our world are looking for love and acceptance and meaning and purpose. Right? We're looking for that too. But in this fallen world, the very opposite is often the norm. And rejection, that powerful force, is commonplace everywhere. Uh, you probably experience it sometimes in your workplace, because we have to perform if we're going to make a profit as a corporation or a company. And if you aren't performing, you feel some dissatisfaction, and eventually you may feel some rejection. Uh, you may have felt rejection in, uh, going way back into high school. Some of you may be a little bit younger than I am. I'm already 60 years old, but uh, you might still remember some of the painful experiences in high school or in the neighborhood or maybe in college of rejection from peer groups. Uh, you might have felt rejection in your family growing up. I actually felt some of that. I experienced some of that. Don't have time to go into it. But, uh, you may come from a family of abuse. You may have been abused. That's rejection. 
John's going to talk about this a lot more uh, later on and tomorrow. But that's the forces that are at work in our human relationships. And we're not immune to the, the psychological and the relational effects of rejection. <clears throat> uh, here are some, just a few, psychological and relational breakdowns that happen with the human soul. And I'll tell you what, uh, in my younger years, I struggled with probably half of these. At least half of these. And I still struggle with some of them, especially in the anger column. Uh, I can't go into all the details, but boy, I struggle with some bitterness, uh, some resentment at times because of some of the injustices that I talked about. <clears throat> um, you might just look at that list and, you know, your neighbor might be looking over your page, but you might check off some of those. Or at least in your mind, check them off if you struggle with that. Um, and I also want to share tonight something I, I really felt led to share this. If you are struggling with some of these things, or if you're struggling with certain sin patterns, you have plenty of company. You're not some weird person. You might write down on your page there, First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen. Uh, no temptation or trial. You can translate that, uh, or you can interpret that as a trial to or a testing. Uh, no temptation or testing has taken you, but such as is common to men. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tried or tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but with the temptation or the trial, He will bring about a way of escape yes. at some point that you may be able to bear up under it. That's a promise from God. And the point there is such as is common to men and women. So if you're in uh, some circles of Christians that you may feel like nobody's struggling with what I'm struggling with, and if they knew about my stuff, I'd be so ashamed. Just know everybody's struggling with something. And some people are struggling with the same stuff you're struggling with, and God knows it. He's the one that gave us that word. But the question, uh, one of the questions tonight and this is a question that many Christians share, is in the midst of this stuff, and, and stuff more horrible than this, I did not put suicide in this one. But some of you have had loved ones that went that route. And that is extremely painful. And by the way, I, I want to uh, throw out an offer here tonight too. Uh, if after we go through this stuff, and even with John's material, if you feel like you need somebody to pray with you, uh, we got people that are more than willing to uh, to get with you. We'll take you to a room somewhere and we'll just pray. We're not gonna. We're just gonna pray with you if you need if you need that. But many Christians are asking this question in the midst of this stuff. Where is the abundant life that Jesus talked about and promised to us? God doesn't seem to care about my situation. 
That's one of the conclusions. It's a false conclusion, but that's a conclusion. And I understand it. I get it. I hope you get it. And we don't judge people that are struggling that way. <clears throat> and another one, and these are not all encompassing, but just a couple of these. Uh, the abundant life is unattainable for me. It, yeah, it seems God's given other people that, but I'm, I'm a second class citizen. Maybe a third class. I don't know. I'll never have that. Probably never. Uh, like I said, I understand this stuff, but really? Is that what we're struggling? I mean, is that our conclusion? Well, enter the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, God brought the very thing that so many people complain about today in our culture. Oh, God doesn't care. If he, if he did, he'd come down and fix this problem. This broken world we have. <clears throat> he did care, and he does care, and he did something about it. And as believers, I think we all know that. We all know this story. But the, the cross of Jesus Christ can be thought of as the dividing line, the dividing line of human history. And God did not do this because we deserved it. He did it out of his mercy for fallen men and women. And what do we mean what do we mean by the dividing line of human history? What's that all about? Well, by God's plan and his covenant programs and their unique paradigms, the cross is the separation between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant was a covenant of human observance and of performance in keeping the law. The new covenant is a covenant of grace through faith and also of life in God's Holy Spirit. And it is a relationship with God. Know the Lord, the scripture talks about. And per God's word, the new covenant is said to be a much better covenant than the old covenant. Hebrews 8 talks about that. And by the way, before I go any further, uh, you're going to see a lot of scripture in your notes. And I know you're going to see a lot of scriptures in John's material as well. Uh, please, take the time. Uh, there's a lot of material here. A lot of material here. You're not going to be able to digest all this tonight. But take the time, uh, maybe even this weekend, and, and go back and find those scriptures and read them in context and read them in prayer and meditation with the Holy Spirit and see what God might be speaking to you about those particular scriptures. Um, this material has been taken out of those scriptures. So you're going to get a lot more, almost a gestalt effort, a gestalt effect by doing that. And you will be blessed. Uh, but the New Covenant is much better than the Old Covenant. And let me tell you something, right? And if you've you got a good theological background, you know that the Old Covenant actually is awesome. It was awesome. It was God's wisdom handed down to fallen men and women at the right time in history 
And to be an instructor of sorts and a framework for setting up the laws of Israel and their government, in fact. Uh, and some of that stuff is actually inherited all the way through the Anglo-Saxons to our day in the United States. That wisdom. So societies actually have structured their laws many times behind the wisdom of the law of God. Some of them, at least. So it was an awesome covenant, but it's, it was designed for a purpose. It was a schoolmaster to teach us and to show us our sinfulness. The new covenant is said to be much better, and it's founded on much better promises. Hebrews 8 talks about that. The new covenant was prophesied to come during the old covenant. Did you know that? Uh, the promise was it was going to bring a radical inner life change to its recipients. An inner life where God himself, by his spirit, becomes our functional source for living. Let's uh, just, uh, there's a lot of prophecies about portions of the new covenant and the old covenant. There's some 200 prophecies at least, I think 211 to be exact, about Jesus, the Messiah, coming the first time. 211. What is the statistical probability that even two or three prophecies could ever come to pass in history? I mean, vividly spoken, vividly laid out, with detail after detail. What's the probability? The probability is like beyond billions to one. God gave us 211 prophecies just in the Old Testament about Christ's first coming. There's almost, I think there's like a thousand prophecies about his second coming, many of which we're actually witnessing today as time goes on. But uh, here's one of these prophecies. <clears throat> Let's read through, I'm not going to go through this whole thing because we don't have time. But read this afterwards, please. It, you'll, you'll be so glad you did it. If you have never read this, Jeremiah 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Now, in this particular case, God is speaking to the Jews and the Israelites. Okay? So, but we know that this also was for the, the Gentiles. And we know that because there's other passages that talk about that. So, don't get hung up by that. Alright? But, there it is. The new covenant. This was uh, 607 years before Christ ever came. And down here, farther down, in both font, I will put my law in their minds as part of the New Covenant program. And I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Now, I happen to believe personally that this is actually about the end after the Israelites, those that are going to come to Christ, will come to Christ during the tribulation, and God gathers back the Israelites as part of that salvation of the Jews, the Israelites. Uh, but these principles and these things are all part of the new covenant that we are a part of today. And he says, uh, They'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I'll forgive their wickedness and I'll remember their sins no more. 
Well, here's another one, Ezekiel 36. Uh, we, could, we could go through this for hours. <laughs> Different process. <clears throat> but it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Do you see the pattern there? What he's talking about with the new covenant? Our God clearly promised something brand new, and its aim was the inner life of fallen humanity. That was God's prophecy about what he's going to do as part of dealing with fallen humanity. And most, cert- uh, most certainly God did care about our suffering and our death through the cross of Jesus Christ in human history. Uh, here's a graphic um, that shows this. Uh, I'm not going to go through all this, but uh, some people think the New Covenant began at the birth of Jesus. And maybe you think that. I thought that for a long time. It didn't begin with Jesus, not with his birth. It began with his death. Yes. After his death. Uh, how do we know this? I'm not making that up. Hebrews 9 talks about that. Christ's death puts the new covenant into effect. Romans 10.4 says Christ is the end of the law. Romans says that the law was nailed to a cross. Guess what? The law is Jesus Christ himself. And when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, he said things to them that were not in the law, not in the, the written law that we were given. He said things that went down to the heart. So he was showing the law is a lot bigger than you even understand, Pharisees. And uh, you better keep it 100%, because if you don't, you failed all of it. So just know that as you go to the judgment seat of God and the judgment. Uh, but I want to focus on this Acts 2. New hearts, inner life was given to regenerated believers. Study it in Acts 2. Study these things in Romans. Study these things in Hebrews. Uh, by the way, I don't believe God's done away with his old covenant law. The reason I believe that is because there's a lot of people who want to be justified by keeping the law. There's a lot of people who want to be justified by their own religious works. There's a lot of people who want to be justified by their performance before God. And uh, Paul says in Romans that uh, if they want to be judged that way, then God's going to judge them that way. So uh, hopefully that's none of you. They won't be prayed. Yes. Right, and I'm saying that in love. <clears throat> So, the cross divided the Old Covenant, the New Covenant, and uh, please uh, read that more in Scripture and you'll be very blessed. Well, not only is the cross the dividing line of human history, separating the Old Covenant from the New, but it's also a dividing line for every believer. The dividing line line between what you were before your salvation and what you are now in Christ. 
What are you now in Christ? You're not just a servant. We are servants of Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. But you're a whole heck of a lot more than that. You have become a son and a daughter of the living God. Every true believer, the Bible says, not Tom Brewer, not John Woodward, the Bible says, every true believer has been crucified with Christ. Their old life, their ancestry, all the way going back to Adam, in Adam, has been done away. Our Grace to 20 Life verse, key verse, for this weekend, is this. Galatians 2.20. That's where it comes from. And some of you, I think, have it memorized. Mm-hmm. Is anybody courageous enough to say it and not peek? Go ahead. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gives And I, I love Galatians 2.21. you know that one? I don't know. <laughs> I do not set aside the grace of God, because if righteousness could have been gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Keep that in your pocket as you encounter a legalist in the future. <clears throat> My faith is a really important thing here. And we're not excluding obedience here, by the way, folks. And we're not, this entire weekend, don't you get the idea that we're trying to teach that, that grace-based Christianity and exchanged life doctrine is all about passivity. There are accusations coming against ministries that are trying to uncover the veil off of this message. That is the power of the gospel. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation for everybody that believes it. For the Jew first, but also for us, the Gentiles. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God's grace. Because it's the power of God unto God's living. Which we're going to talk more about later. But i got a personal affinity with that. During the breaks, if you want to hear about it, I'll share it with you. <clears throat> there's, a fine, a, there's a finality to this reality. It's God who has made it so. Even if we may not feel it, or we're not experiencing it right now in our broken Christian life. <clears throat> uh, look at this here. This is, uh, now this is a New Covenant, a New Testament passage. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is of God, not you. God, who reconciled the world to himself in Christ and gave us... What? Paul's not just meeting himself and the apostles here, folks. Because if that were the case, how in the world would the church ever survive? He's giving us 
the ministry of reconciliation for this broken and dark world. That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. Here's a graphic. We like to show a lot of pictures because a picture is worth a thousand words. And this is just showing the reality, the, the reality to the dividing line of what you were at one time, but which you are no more. You're somebody brand new. And there's a lot on here. Uh, don't worry about the word counsel either. We use this in our counseling. Um, just put your own name in there. The old Tom. On the right side of the cross, the new Tom. Completely new person. <clears throat> I'm just going to take a second here. That Our soul care people have heard this over and over again. But I'm an engineer, folks. Okay, So I think about this stuff. And I have been skeptical at times, and then the Lord has revealed new things to me about these things. New things that are still in Scripture. But Look, when you were not a believer, you had a body, you had a soul, a mind, or emotions. Today, you have a body, you have a soul, mind, or emotions. I don't get it. I'm the same person. Bible says I'm new. But you see, when you were not a Christian, when you were not saved, you had a body, you had a soul, but you were dead spiritually. You had no spiritual life. You had no spiritual connection to Almighty God. And by the way, you had no spiritual connection with other believers. And Jesus says there's some mysterious way we have a connection with each other in folks. <laughs> in Christ. Uh, after the cross, after your salvation, you have a body, you have a soul, and you have spiritual life. And I don't know, maybe there's some people in here that, that can't relate to what I'm about to say, but when you became a Christian... Or maybe you grew up in a Christian home and at some point it really clicked with you and you started to realize things that you never realized before. Uh, if you're a, a, someone who remembers the day you were saved, you knew something was different after your salvation. Did you not? And, and there's tangibility to this stuff. All of a, For me, all of a sudden, because I tried to read the Bible when I was a Catholic at the time and I'd fall asleep. It, it was boring me. After my salvation, I couldn't stop. I, I was staying up all night reading it. I was eating it up. Okay, that's more than just excitement. There's the work of the Spirit of God in that process. And, and all of a sudden, you can understand things in the Scripture that you didn't understand before. Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2 talks about this. Oh, the man or the woman without the Spirit cannot understand the things that come from the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to them. Yes. They cannot understand them because they must be spiritually discerned. There's an anointing to our lives in Christ by the Spirit that we can understand His, the, the bread of life, the Word of God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this is a, there's a reality to this. Please don't just think of it as some kind of imaginary thing. Or positive thinking or something like that. It's not that. And we must understand and accept the finality of the reality 
God's complete dealing with your sin and my sin at the cross, but God's dealing with the old you also at the cross. Here's a, a quote from an author. Uh, I love this quote. It's very, very true. Until you come to, the grip, to grips with the finality of the cross, you'll never experience the reality of the resurrection. Amen. The finality of the cross, not only for your sin, but for the old you that was in Adam and the new you that's now in Christ. <clears throat> well, we've got, i got to race through this. I'm going to have to do this within 10 minutes, so I apologize. But... Um, Understanding God's grace for you in the New Covenant is critical to freedom and abundant living in Christ. Understanding God's grace for you in the New Covenant is critical to freedom and abundant living in Christ. Mm-hmm. Warning. Mixing law and grace together in a hodgepodge of confusion and religion and religious performance brings confusion and futility. See Galatians if you think I'm making that up. I can tell you how much I had this until God did a work in me and I finally got it. Another author, in fact, Dr. Lee Turner, and I'd highly recommend uh, you get this book. Uh, It's very well done. And uh, Dr. Turner, actually, part of the title here, Understanding Grace and How to Implement it in Your Life in Your Church. Uh, we use this in our soul care training. Uh, how many soul care people took the training? In, uh, yeah. uh, I think it's available on GFI website, John, is that right? Yes, sir. Yeah, and I, I know it's available on Amazon, too. But Dr. Turner's quote, It's impossible to experience the joy and the victory of the resurrected life of Christ until you bury the grave grave clothes of the law. Listen, we're not tossing out the law. We're not tossing out the Old Testament. I use the Old Testament in my counseling all the time. There is such tremendous rich wisdom in the Old Testament. There's wisdom for solving human problems of all sorts. Yes. You've got to be careful about how you interpret the Old Testament and the Old Covenant in your Christian walk. We're called to interpret it in the light of our salvation in Christ. We're not called to go back to it and to get put back under it in any way. That's why Paul confronted the Galatians. So that's what Dr. Turner is talking about. But let's quickly uh, define grace, <coughs> uh, biblical grace, what we mean here. It's very simple, really. Uh, in fact, you can Google this. Google grace defined. And you're going to get all like dissertations on what it means. Okay, but biblically, this is really what it means. Unmerited, undeserved favor with God. In Christ, we have this favor. Because we have this new covenant grace, or favor with God in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. And through this grace, we have many blessings that have been given to us. You may not feel that favor. You may not feel that favor for years because of all the baggage and the suffering and brokenness in your life, maybe in the life of your family and friends. You may not feel like that's for you. 
But we have God's favor according to the scriptures. It's an issue of do we believe that, do we have faith in what God says to us or not. Uh, you may be going through suffering, and I'm sorry, but the scripture says that God does discipline us. In fact, if we don't undergo discipline, uh, discipline by our loving Heavenly Father, it's like we're illegitimate children. Uh, he disciplines us out of His grace. He disciplines out of his love, his love for us. And that's why if we sow to our flesh, we're going to reap corruption. And corruption is a word that's not too far from destruction. But if we sow to God's spirit within us, we're going to reap life. And that's how God's love for us, his favor for us. And we have many blessings. <clears throat> In under this grace, uh, but God intends us to live it out, to live out of our new nature by even daily receiving what He has for us for that day and putting it into practice, employing these grace based blessings. Uh, if you know these things, happy will you be if you do them. There's, that's a promise of God, that's a promise of Jesus. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 1, uh, I love how the epistles of Paul, he started off all his epistles the same way. Two believers. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But they're not confined in the heavenly places. These blessings... And the word of God is a blessing, okay, for us, whether we realize it or not. Uh, the body of Christ is a blessing, whether we realize it or not. Brothers and sisters who love us are a blessing, whether we realize it or not. Uh, the wisdom of God is a blessing. The presence in the, in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a blessing, whether we realize it or not, whether we feel him or not, whether we feel like we're alone. And yet he's with us, and we don't realize it. That's just a few of the blessings. I haven't even gotten that identity. John's going to get on that tomorrow. Our identity in Christ. Well, Romans 8, 5 through 9. I chose this for a reason, because I happen to think that some of us in here tonight are struggling with some of this, but... uh, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds on what the Spirit desires. A uh, key thing is there our mind and our heart. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Does anybody want life and peace tonight? the blessing of the presence of the Holy Spirit within us which we probably don't feel a lot of times but that blessing of his presence in us can be experienced as we focus more on God's truth and letting the Spirit of God control us as we let him control us something's going to happen and it's going to be really good the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit if He lives in you. Does any of this kind of ring a bell with the prophecies that we read? Mm-hmm. About what God is going to do in the new covenant? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Finally, um, uh, okay, let me say it. It's on the screen. It's in your notes. But please understand that experiencing victorious, abundant life in Christ in the new covenant means understanding and accepting God's grace for you. Here's some scriptures. Uh, From the fullness of His grace, we've all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 6.14 is probably one of my most favorite scriptures because I have... It has probably not saved me necessarily, but pretty close to because of my earlier struggles in my life. That were again and again and again and again and again and again. Can anybody relate to that? Yep. Sure. If if you're if you're like Paul, if you're like Paul is or was, read Romans seven. The things that I want to do for God, I I cannot do, and the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? Sin is not going to be your master if you're in Christ. No matter where you're at no matter right now, no matter what your, your psychological state is right now, no matter whether you're even struggling in your faith right now, you have a little mustard seed of faith that's real faith. God wants to grow that. And it may be that suffering is the way he's going to do that. But it's not because he's some sort of killjoy. It's because he has favor in you. And there's stuff in your life that, as a surgeon, he's dealing with. To get out of you. To put into you more of his life. I don't believe that you get any more of Christ into you. We need to get more of Christ out of us. More of his fruits. Fruit of his spirit out of us. <clears throat> because there's, Jesus talked about the bubbling up of his life to eternal life. Like a fountain. Beautiful fountain. That's what happens to everybody that has the Spirit of God in them. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen just like that. If you believe that, hang tight. But that's not what God's promising. It's necessarily going to be like this. Sin shall not be your master. For you're not under law anymore. You're under grace. You're under his favor. We're not teaching a license to sin here, in case you might worry about that. Uh, Titus says the, the grace of God has appeared to all men and women, really, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live upright and self-controlled lives in this present, and I would add the word evil age. I think some translations actually say that. Um, the law of God was designed for a purpose. It was designed to show us our sinfulness and point us to the cross in future days. But Paul said it's powerless to change us. 
So if for some reason you're still on a performance treadmill, please get off that treadmill. Ask for help to get off of it. Maybe you need some counseling to get help. Maybe you need to talk to your pastor to get help with that. But get off of that and get on to the, to the New Covenant program of grace. It's God's program. And the law was powerless to change us. But Titus is saying it's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to unrighteousness and unholiness and live upright and controlled lives. Romans 6.14 was so life-changing for me because I realized if I fall 10,000 times, I hear God saying, I'm still going to be for you. You are not condemned. Uh, if your heart is right, if you really do as Romans 7, the Romans 7 person wants to do, truly to live for God, there's more to the story. But he's not going to give up on you. He's more for you than you're for yourself. Way more for you than you are for yourself. But this requires a paradigm shift, folks. In our thinking and our faith, from a performance-based acceptance to grace thinking and living. A branch is completely dependent upon grace provisions of divine. Living consistently under God's grace for us, his words are food, and his life living in and through us. Jesus himself living in and through us. And, and, and by allowing him to do that, we will bear much fruit. For apart from him, we can do what? Nothing. Nothing. I want to ask uh, City Calabrese. Uh, I mentioned City is very, very instrumental. We've been partnering for years. I praise God for City. She, she ministers to so many hurting women uh, in a Christ-centered counseling role. And uh, uh, she's very, very key, a very key leader here in our self-care ministry. I just want to ask her to come up for a few minutes and share her testimony uh, with you about what God did in her life, especially through this book. So, um, I, I read this book, um, I was going through this book um, as I mentored um, uh, a, a, a young lady, and the thing that was so powerful about this book for me was that everything that Tom has talked about is in this book. I've read so many books. Um, and, and what I've noticed in the book is that it's always focused on one topic or one subject or, you know, use or whatever. This book combines, it, it gives you a very, very powerful understanding of what grace means and how to live that out. It, he goes in depth into the law, performance-based living, okay, um, and New Covenant, Grace and Living. And the thing I like about this book, especially, it's gospel-focused. Okay? It's loaded with scriptures. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from the book so you can kind of get an understanding of the power of what he's talking about. Now, um, he talks about being under law, and being under grace and goes into depth in, all, in both of these. Um, law curses, grace redeems from that curse. Law kills, grace makes alive. 
Law shuts every mouth before God. Grace opens every mouth to praise him. Law puts a great and guilty distance between man and God. Grace makes guilty man nigh to God. Law says do and live. Grace believe and live. Law never had a missionary. Grace is to be preached to every creature. Law utterly condemns the best man. Grace freely justifies the worst. Law is a system of probation. Grace of favor. Law stones an adulteress. Grace says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Under law, the sheep dies for the shepherd. Under grace, the shepherd dies for the sheep. Everywhere the scriptures present law and grace in sharply contrasted spheres. The mingling of them in much of the current teaching of the day spoils both, for law is robbed of its terror and grace of its freeness. Grace allows a person to have an honest appraisal of his present spiritual condition. This freedom encourages him to yield to Christ, who alone can produce an external expression of right conduct and good works. A church that nourishes an atmosphere of love, acceptance, and forgiveness will have harmony. We have no condemnation, place of reference for our thinking, Romans 8.1, in our loving, non-judgmental attitude toward each other. We minister the grace of God and affirm that we do not have to measure up by some degree of perfection in order to be acceptable. Um, the, the one thing I like about this book as well is it's all about relations, relationships, which the Trinity is all about relationships, right? Um, and so the, the young lady that I, that I was mentoring um, as we went through this book together, she was literally set free from the performance-based living that, that she was living, um, thinking she had to do all the time, um, do all these things to please God, because she did not have a complete understanding of what grace is. So um, I have never been more excited about it. It takes a lot to get me excited after all the books I've read, okay? This one got me so excited, and I would really encourage everybody to read it. It's phenomenal. Could you mention the title and author once more? Understanding Grace and How to Implement in Your Life and Church. How to Implement in Your Life and Church. Let me just read you a couple of the headings. It's, um, and he, he <clears throat> Grace in Your Life is part one. Grace and harmony in the body. Grace and power in the body. Grace and communication in the body. Grace and coordination in the body. And there's 30 principles that he talks about. So, Cindy, who's the author again? It's um, Lee Turner. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cindy.